Welcome to Season 2 of Passion to Profit Podcast. Hey there, I'm Nikki Milne, a high school dropout, ex-hairdresser and salon owner to PR and marketing expert and founder of the Perth Collective PR Agency. I'm a mum to four, a wife of a firefighter and a very driven entrepreneur. This season, we're going to interview some incredible business owners that I've had the pleasure of working with or personally knowing. And I'm going to do some episodes on tips, tricks, and strategies that I've used to not only scale my business, but the businesses I mentor and consult with and that I work with through my PR agency. So without further ado, let's dive into season two of the Passion to Profit podcast. Welcome to the Passion to Profit podcast. Today, I am joined by Charlie from the Nest Boutique and charlie.com.au. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I have known Charlie, oh God, I'd say eight to nine years now. We met right at the start when I launched my own business. Obviously, me being an ex-hairdresser, Charlie owning one of her leading salons, we kind of connected. And so over the years, our businesses have both grown and Charlie has always been strong. She's like me, quite opinionated. I'm sure she won't mind me saying that. And (laughs) I just think uh, hairdressers, we always have so much to say. So this is going to be an incredible interview. And we're going to, you know, cover a lot of information and topics that are relevant to so many businesses. But let's rewind. Charlie, do you want to take me through how you ended up being in Australia and how you started The Nest? Yeah, sure. So I didn't really know that I was coming here two weeks before I got here, to be honest. Wow. My girlfriend was coming over here to chase a boy. She wouldn't admit it. And I really just hit in my notice, decided to come with her that weekend, like the next weekend, put all my stuff in storage, called my mom, asked her for $2,000. She hung up the phone on me. I (laughs) bought it one day. And that was in 2008. So we came over here to, we started off in Scarborough. We I think at the time I, I had no idea even what side of Australia that we were coming to. Got to Australia. She had a guy here that she was dating and he was here with his best friend. And so when we went and met up, I actually said, don't let me hook up with like your boyfriend's best friend. Cause then it'll be really awkward that lasted like five days. And that's my husband. Oh, wow. So wow, what a story. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah so, yeah. so we ended up coming here, meeting right away. We ended up doing the whole backpacker thing. We went down to Margaret River, did the worked in a vineyard. I remember my first day it was raining, wearing gumboots and crying, saying, I'm just a hairdresser. Because <laughs> it was just... <laughs> It was really hard manual, obviously, like labor intensive. So we worked down south for a few months and then came back up here. I remember when I first got here, my first job was actually at a at a salon and they paid me cash. And she was paying me like $25 an hour cash. And I just thought this was insane yeah. because our minimum wage in Canada at the time was like $8 an hour. So oh, wow. to go to go from not having, a, we would make commission and you'd have, tips and all that, which was great. And so I was obviously on more before I left, but to come here and have no idea and then just be paid $25 an hour, whether I was sitting on my ass or working my ass off was just like, I was like living the dream. You know, I was down the first job. This is actually really funny to me. I thought because I was coming to Australia, you know, you live in Canada and you think everybody here has dreadlocks and that's, you know, and surfing and all that. I probably worked and started working at the only salon that did dreadlocks 
Like that was my first job. And the first day I learned how to do dreadlocks. And I just thought that was the way it was here. (laughs) And we were right on Scarborough Beach Road. And I would go walk down to the beach at lunch and have my lunch down there and then walk back and do dreadlocks all day. And I thought that was just what hairdressing was here. Yeah. I never touched a dreadlock ever since. (laughs) I forgot about making dreadlocks, actually. I completely. Yeah. But that was a thing. Yeah, it was. It did them really weird too. We like back home the hair and put perm solution all over them and just literally just got to really ruin someone's hair for the, you know? Yes, absolutely. And then how did you end up studying the nest? Where did that come from? So I was working um, in Fremantle and that salon was just, it was just a bit going under, you know, you can tell the telltale signs the owner wasn't around anymore or anything. And we wouldn't see her for weeks and just some weird stuff going on. So we ended up going out. I ended up going out on my own. I started with somebody else before, and then we went our own separate ways and I started the nest. It was actually in the underneath of my house. So I took basically convert, like took a granny flat chain, turned it into a cute little quirky salon. It was a really retro style salon, everything. We've made old suitcases into our retail shelving and it was still a nice little size. It had four chairs and ended up having two basins in it. And we grew it from there to when I left. I had, I think there was four of us in there by the time I left. So we really grew the business based around the, I guess, the atmosphere of the salon. People were always really surprised when they'd walk into underneath the house and they'd always go, oh my God, I had no idea that this would be down here. Cause you think you're just going to someone's home salon and it wouldn't It was definitely still like a really unique, quirky space. And yeah, we called it The Nest because I wanted it to be somewhere that felt really homey and had that kind of vibe to it. It drives me nuts when people say, oh, nest hair. I'm like, no, it's very different. The nest and nest hair is very different. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I think before you moved into... I think you were still at home when I first met you because I remember thinking, well, here's this girl with this big salon and reputation. And then I found out you work from home, which, you know, back in that day, those days, that was quite unusual to have a salon of your caliber from a home. Yeah. And then they were selling the house because it was a rental. So we got my first commercial place, which scared the the (laughs) shit out of me because, you know, it was a scary thing taking that on. Mm-hmm. And that was my, that's why we call the nest now 3.0, because a lot of people don't know about this, the home salon and the home salon is where it all started. Yeah. And then we went to the next, the first commercial space, which was hundred square meters. And then we doubled it again. And now we're in a 200 square meter space. Yeah. Amazing. And then, so how many staff do you have as of today? There's 14 of us. For a hair salon, that's pretty large, especially a salon that only focuses on hair because quite often you'll get hair and beauty in the mix and all that. But for a salon that is solely hair, that is quite a huge team. Find out what you need to focus on now in your business by taking my new business growth quiz. Together, we will identify where your business currently falls in the five levels from zero to over a million dollars of income. What level are you at now and what do you need to do to move forward to that next level of income? Take the quiz and based on your results, I will send you a personalized PDF workbook so you can scale your business to the next level in the year ahead. Head to 
nikkimilne.com to take the quiz. So in terms of marketing, what do you think really grew your business so quickly and gave you that reputation? You know, I would almost say instantly in the land of um, hairdressing, like within a few years, you were known as the go-to salon. I really think that one thing I always really focused on was my salon atmosphere and the aesthetic of my salon, of my space. I felt like coming from Canada, we have lots of salons that have quirky environments and that here, it's just like, you know, they'll have one long glass like mirror with a beautiful bouquet of flowers on their table. And that is the whole aesthetic of every salon. And so I really focused on what my salon looks like, not just the hair. So the salon experience, I remember at my first salon, I started serving stuff like I had fruit bowls and wine and things like that for the clients. So I think to me, it was not just about my social media presence. It was about the customer service and my like referrals. I used to go, we did it with my first team. We go door to door, handing out flyers on all around the community. So I really focused on like what was right around my salon. I didn't try to, you know, focus on much further out than that. I really wanted to just hone down on what was right around me. So we would go door to door, handing out flyers with our price list. I had a price list and a photo of our salon. And we did that for a couple of years. We'd do it a few times. And we always got a great response for that because people want to see just like when you go out for dinner, People want to see where you're going, not just a picture of someone else's hair, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think that's it. You've now, your salon is definitely quite quirky. And I feel like, because I've been in your salons, everything tells a story. You can look, you know, 500 different ways in your salons and there'll be a little story in the corner of, you know, the cocktails you serve or the lolly bar or, you know, how your product is out. It's so unique compared to all the other salons that have definitely gone down that more modern, minimalistic track, there is always something to be looking at and asking about in your salon, which I think is completely unique. And that probably definitely had a huge impact on it. But I also, from an experience of being a customer of yours, you had incredible systems. And I think you were one of the first in Perth, or definitely one of the first in Perth I come across that actually took deposits for, you know, bookings, which I think at the time everyone was a bit shocked about because I think I'd sold my salon by then. But, you know, that was quite a new thing coming back in nine, 10 years ago. And you were like, no, if you want to come in, you pay your deposit online before you book your service. So I think that was just such a, you know, that shuffled the industry, but it was such an incredible forward thinking move on your behalf. Yeah. It's been one of my biggest saving graces is doing that because, also in saying that those deposits that we take online go into a totally separate bank account yeah. and they're basically just the ATO accounts, you know, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I have, you know, it's, it's that backup support that I've kept from, you know, a percent of all of our bookings and it's been just great way to, I just, yeah, it's just been a great way to keep our customers. We have hardly have any no shows. We have, we never have. That's why we incorporate it first is because when I first blew up a bit, we ended up having a lot of people doing, you know, having no shows, having people that weren't serious, having just really hard to deal with customers. And I felt like it just weeded out a lot of those people. And it was actually really hard to get our hairdressers on board with that because people would call and they'd have a hard time getting that deposit or asking them for it. And it was a constant struggle with going, no, no deposit, no booking. 
Like, don't tell them you'll wait for them to find their credit card. And because that's what they'll do. They'll call and oh, I'll just book it now and I'll call you guys back later and I'll give you my credit card details. And I'm like, well, no, tough. But yeah. it was really it was hard for people to to do that. And now it's so normal. Every business does it. Yeah. But it definitely changed. I think it just made people take hairdressers more seriously as well. Oh, totally. The respect. When I saw that, I was like, wow, I am so impressed by this. Because like you say, it wasn't just something you had to deal with your staff and had to implement it. And to actually, you know, be the first to be asking for those deposits because it was completely uncommon back then. I think that's just such a testament to you and your strength and saying, no, this is how we're doing it and we're all abiding by it. And that is it. There is no, you know, excuses. This is how we're going to run this salon. So, you know, full credit to you because it became quite the normal in the last yeah. two, five years. But back when you started, probably eight, nine years ago, it was unheard of. So I thought that yeah. was really interesting. And so not you, everybody liked it. No, I can understand <laughs> yeah. that. But then they're not your ideal customer if they're not no, going to pay exactly. deposit, go somewhere else. And you've worked with some amazing influencers over the years. I know, again, different time, but tell me about working with influencers and your top three tips for working with influencers in both your brands. Yeah, sure. So we've only really religiously worked with two influencers. Helen, who used to be Gypsy Love and Light, was my big one. I'll be forever grateful for her because I feel like she really helped catapult my business. I was still working from home at that time and I'd gotten her details and called her and we had a big chat. Anyway, she ended up coming on board. She's still a client of ours. And that was probably like eight years ago. Yeah. Now, I feel like things have changed a lot. I mean, her personal brand has changed. And so we don't get the ROI that we used to with having her because when we first took her on, it was she was a beauty fashion blogger. Now she is a travel blogger. So I think now our biggest thing is because we've built our business the way we have, we've got that much of an influx of clients. We always have new clients and I don't focus on any influencer marketing anymore because I don't need to. I feel like I've already done the work and I've built my reputation. But I think one of the biggest things is making sure that whoever you're using on in your brand is similar to your brands. You know, you you got a similar kind of a similar following to them. So if you're doing hair, you want someone that's fashion, makeup, that kind of thing. Whereas having someone that's a travel blogger, I wouldn't say people that spend all their money on travel always spend all their money on hair and beauty. Quite often, it's almost one or the other. Like I've met lots of people that that is their priority, right? Yeah. And then other people with, you know, like myself with a face full of Botox and fillers, I'm like, I can't afford to go on a holiday. (laughs) Yeah, you're like me. (laughs) But I can afford to have the latest thing, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think really just having influencers that align with your own brands. Otherwise, it's just a waste of your time and money doing their hair for free, servicing their, them for free, paying wages to have that person in and then not making any return on it just to get, you know, a few photos of that. So yeah. So then we have another, and we have another um, influencer that we'd used for a long time who's great for just you know, being on our gram, having that really hot person through, you know, through our posting, but most of her engagement is with men. So we don't service men. So it doesn't really align with us anymore. Right. So that's um, something that we've kind of cut down on because it just doesn't really do anything for our, our business other than getting a bit of content. And now that we focus more on content with my other brands, I don't really need to do that as much. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think we just need to clarify for everyone listening that um, influencers Charlie works with, uh, Helen would have about 800,000 followers, I think, at yep. last check. And yep. the other influencer you're talking about has got like 1.3 million. So we're not talking yep. run-of-the-mill influencers that, you know, have 20,000, 30,000. This is high-tier influencing that these girls yep. are actually getting paid a lot of money. Some of them would get $10,000 a post. So this level of influencing is right up there compared to what your everyday business would yeah. be influencers for. But it's such an interesting point. And I totally agree with the fact that you need to have relevant target markets because like you say, one yeah. of them, it's mainly men. You're never going to get a client out of that because you don't do yeah. that. <laughs> totally. It's the thing too that like they might have a million followers, but you you I'll never make a dollar out of it if it's not right following. Yeah. So even though, and that's kind of where I would prefer, I know a lot of people use now smaller influencers, but I don't want to be doing a bunch of free hair at work all the time. Right. So I, I think personally, you're better off having someone that has a, that is really aligned with your brand that has a bigger following and a bigger connection to people than having to, you know, work for free day in and day out with smaller influencers yeah. but also i i just feel like the market's just so saturated now that everybody is an influencer and everybody sees right through it with who they're using that i don't think it's as powerful as it used to be no and i think it's we were talking about it off air i have an um ambassadorship with morris mead so basically i get free services and i just have to do a post or a story it's very um relaxed and it's quite organic because it's not so set in yeah. stone and they have about 20 of us. And I actually think that works yeah. incredibly well because they're not saying to me, you have to post this at a certain time. It's I wouldn't actually say it's an influencer agreement. Ambassador is definitely more of the correct yeah. word because it's like, if yeah. you love it, share it. If you don't, that's fine. We're happy to have you as part of our family. So that's probably the new way. And I know in your other yeah. business, do you want to tell us a bit about Charlie as in the product business? And then you can tell us yeah. how influencers in that business. Yeah, sure. So we started charlie.com.au last July. So I'm in the works of manufacturing a, uh, it's a semi-permanent hair color range Ooh. that we are going to be launching this year. Of course, oh. it's running behind as every, every time you <laughs> manufacture anything, it should yeah. have been probably done by the end of last year. Anyways, so we launched charlie.com.au. It's more of a vintage classic hair care range. So we launched it with our aluminum rollers that have been doing really, really well on social media. So we've been using a bit more UGC, which stands for user generated content and influencer marketing with that. The amazing thing is how this came about and how well it did is I actually, with my last salon, when I when I started and when I moved into the the Nest 3.0, the Nest 2.0 stood there still. I re I renovated it and I fixed it up and I ended up actually selling it. But before I sold it, I thought I would try. So I'm going a little bit off topic here, but this is how the Charlie brand kind of catapulted. So I took the Nest, the first bigger Nest. And I changed it into a freelance salon. Now, I tried to market it to freelance hairdressers. But at the time of COVID, it just wasn't really going off. I gave it a few months. I did the work into it. I did the, you know, sorted out all the, the IP and everything involved with it. And then I just kind of got bored of it and ended up selling it. Because it wasn't really where 
I wasn't really passionate about it. I just thought, hey, if I can make a quick buck doing this, I'll try it. And I'm very much the one to if something's not working, I'll just give it up and I'll move on. I think you kind of figure out pretty quickly whether it's a viable business or not. Anyways, I ended up selling that. But because I started that, I started an Instagram for it, which had all these hairdressers following it. So I had all these hairdressers following freelance lane, right? So when I sold the business and sold that fit out, I kept that Instagram. I had about, I think about 600 followers on the Instagram account, but they were all hairdressers. Mm. So when I launched charlie.com.au, I wiped that one clean. I had already hairdressers on there and then I launched it on that. So all these people would have been watching and going, oh, I didn't even know I was following this page, right? And so I changed my one Instagram into a new one and got a whole lot of new hairdressers, you know, hairdressers seeing us. And it's funny because when I launched the the product in the beginning, I didn't think about it so much about how many hairdressers were going to love it. Yeah. And when I launched it, it just went a bit bananas because people started using the rollers are really um, aesthetically pleasing, like everything else I love. Yeah. And people started using it, using the content, generating content without me even asking for them to do it, like just on their own. And so then we started sending out. So now what we do instead, so we do, we send out somebody like a free gift. So we'll send them out to hairdressers, tell them, you know, if you love them, great, share them. If you post something, just tag us. If you don't love them and you don't use them, no big deal. And that's kind of how we got the ball rolling a little bit with creating UGC in a really cost like effective way. So now we've had people using them on stage. We have something big coming up um, in the next month or two with one a hairdresser that I've sent them to that's doing a huge stage presentation with them. And, you know, it's just been taking off really well yeah. that way. And it's been a really fun thing to play with because influencers or people want to use them because they're actually fun to make content with. It's not just like a little bottle of products that you're just showing and you're wiping on your face. Like they're, you know, they're they're quite, they're quite out there. They look cool in the hair. They're huge on TikTok and that. So. And they're really cool for people to use. It's not. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're old school rollers. So, you know, lots of women, every, most women have, you know, especially women our age or older have used a roller in their life, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that was actually, it's funny because this product is totally taken off, but that's not even my hero products. Like my hero products is not even developed yet. So, I mean, it's not, it's, it's developed, but we're in the, we're in the works of finalizing packaging and stuff like that. But it's been awesome because now when I launch my next product, I already have an audience yes. and I already have people that, you know, I already connect with and, you know, we probably have, I think we have over 50 wholesale accounts already. Wow. And they're already loyal to the brand. So, yeah. you know, like you said, without your hero product, but just rewinding a little bit, I think you touched on a really important thing, the database. Now I'm like you, I have multiple Instagram accounts and I've obviously got my main one and then I've got the Perth Collective PR with 20,000 on it. But that actually was my original hairdressing salon account. And when I sold my hair salon, right. I didn't give it to them either. I kept right. that with me and I flipped the name and it's been seven different names as I went through seven different business changes. Yeah. But now it's starting Perth Collective PR. But I also have two other accounts with 10,000 that just sit dormant 
sorry, that if I get a business idea for exactly the same right. as you're saying, they have are very highly targeted, but different audiences. I built them and held them. And you've actually yeah. just reminded me, I completely forgot about them. So I haven't probably been into them for a, a year. So I should check this. Yeah. But yeah. it is a really good strategy, especially, um, you know, I was that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, I actually had completely forgotten about them. How terrible is that? Because a lot of people would kill to have 10,000 yeah. Instagram followers and I've yeah. got accounts laying dormant totally. on there. Yeah. Yeah. But I got hacked last year and I lost my main account, my Nikki Milne account. I remember that. And thank God I had my Perth Collective PR account with 20000 on it that I could actually then still operate on it with that. But that's another good reason to have two accounts as well because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it does happen. And if you've got audiences across two, you're just a little extra safeguarded compared to actually, yeah. you know, just flying blind. So I think that's really interesting. But the other thing... um, you know, what's the difference? How are you finding the difference between a service-based business? Because for me, I only work with service-based businesses. I don't touch e-commerce because it's not my strength. And then to yeah. put that into e-commerce, that's a completely different business model, completely different strategies. I know it's yeah. similar industry, but have you found it more challenging to scale an e-commerce brand compared to a service-based salon? I guess it's just very different. Like a service-based salon, you need people to do the services to make money. And e-commerce brands, you're making money in your sleep, right? So you wake up, you've had sales. It's pretty motivating to have that happen. Yeah. However, you learn so much. Like I'll tell you right now, we, you know, people talk about on e-commerce. One of my favorite e-commerce podcasts, it's called the e-commerce dropout. And she's a brizzy girl and I I really love her, but she, they talk about, you know, scaling to $10,000 months, right? So we're doing $10,000 a month since the time we started, right? Mm. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm making any profit yet because <laughs> right. I've had to put everything back in in order to scale, right? So yeah. you get all this money in and then you've got to throw it all out. The shipping for my product is two and a half times the cost of my product. <gasps> oh my gosh. Wow. It's insane, right? So. I think what I'm I'm really loving the difference is I feel like I'm learning so much. I feel like it's lit in a little fire in me that I kind of needed because I feel like with the salon at this stage, you know, you've kind of done everything. You're having a meeting again about people not cleaning the salon properly or or whatever it is. And although I still love that space, it's nice to have this other outside motivation and be learning and all that. I love the marketing aspect of it. It's just like you can create something and sell this and have this tangible business just sitting alone in a room on a desk in the dark if you wanted to like it's just a totally different world right yeah and I really love that yeah it's still I guess because it's still affiliated with hairdressing we're able to create content we're still doing hair within that brand so it's not like I've just started selling shoes you know so I feel like in that regard, it still kind of fits into my business. And it's also given opportunity for my team to get involved in something else as well, which has been really fun. But I think, yeah, it's what is mind blowing to me is how much it costs. Yes. It's such an interesting, I have so many service-based businesses I mentor and then they all come to say, I want to do a product line. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And you know what I did four years ago, I actually decided I was going to do a bag collection, like, cause I could never find modern, beautiful bags for people that want to carry laptops in them. All of mine kept breaking. Yeah. 
And I did the same thing. I went through all the design. I had it manifest everything. And then I got to it and actually had a meeting with an expert and said, you know, forecasting what profits in it for me. And then they showed me the real figures by the time you do your shipping. And then if you scale to drop shipping Mm and, and I was like, oh my God, that's going to take me five years. And that kind of income I could earn one year doing what I'm doing now because service business is definitely a lot higher profit, a lot lower costs. And so I bailed out because I was like, oh my God, like I wasn't that passionate about it that I just couldn't see the financial gain, which sounds like a funny thing to say, but like you have to keep commenting back. And then you've got to do huge orders that you don't know are going to sell. Yeah. You know, this new hero product, you might think, yes, it's definitely going to sell an order, you know, $50,000 worth of stock. But then not I've moved out. And I've had a client do that. She spent a $1.5 million on this idea, product idea. Uh, we went everywhere in the world um, marketing it and she only sold two. And let me tell you, they were, I think they were priced at $1,000 each. So, you know, they're, yeah, that that's a story for another day. That was my, oh one my, of my unicorn was stories. Uh, it was a bridal book, a bridal book, a bridal diary. Okay. Yes. So that was about five years ago. And she was just determined that this product was going to sell and obviously had the funds to keep putting money into it but yeah at the end of it we were 1.5 million in and it had the best marketing we went to New York we went to Sydney we went anywhere you possibly could where this thing should sell and I knew it wasn't right but she just believed in it so much so it was a very interesting experience but the point is product I just feel is just such a higher risk it's not saying it can't be successful but Mm -hmm. when I compare it to a service-based business and you're a perfect person to compare the two I feel like the risks are quite often a lot higher in product because you've got a minimum order quantities and then you've got to hold them and you like you know where you're talking from me now you're talking um you're actually in a space that you've rented to also have some of the stock in and then you've got to move it and market it and ship it (laughs) yeah so yeah yeah, it's a really like I love that you've actually gone out and done it and then hearing you know how because it's quite a lot of a pipe dream for a lot of service-based businesses yeah we we have um one of the girls that work who wants to do her own e-commerce branch she's been taking care of mine doing the shipping and that and sees the numbers come in and I have to be really clear with her going just so you know I haven't made a dollar yet so this isn't you know, it isn't what it looks like. If you look at the bank account for it, you know, it's not running under, but it's everything's going back in it. And, you know, a lot of e-commerce podcasts, everything, they talk about doing these $10,000 months. You need to be making a lot more than that to be making money. Yeah. You know, like that is just where you're starting to like make a little bit of traction, you know, and, and luckily I have the business brain to like go in on it in the long haul like that. And I'm kind of at the point where I'm really enjoying that bit, but I wouldn't be able to survive off it. No. You know, it wouldn't be. And also the time it's taking you away from your business. That's the other huge thing that I keep saying to my clients. You're going to have to hustle all over again and start from a scratch in an industry you know nothing about, like, you know, e-commerce. And all that time is actually taking you away from your main business where you could be earning money. They're not set up like you. I know we were talking before, you're off the floor now, so you have a bit more time, whereas they're still very much in the trenches of running their business and actually doing a lot of the services in the business. So then I'm like, 
you know, have you got actual time to dedicate it to building an e-commerce business? So it's a really interesting conversation. I want to touch on staff because I just think you've done an amazing job and retaining and holding staff. I mean, being an ex-hairdresser, it is one of the hardest industries to have staff in. Do you have any tips on how you, um, you know, you manage them and how you retain them, I think is probably even more important. I think the biggest thing to start off with is just who you hire in the first place. I think people get so desperate to have somebody that they will take someone that doesn't suit them and their business. Look, my husband is no, um, no businessman. I'll tell you that much, but he did give me one. He did say one thing to me one time and I'll never forget it. And I use it all the time. And he said, don't ever hire anybody that you wouldn't want to have over to our house for dinner. Wow. I absolutely live by that. And I feel like when I hire people, I do think, would I want to go out for a drink with you? Could I see myself going on a long drive with you or sitting on a plane beside you and being stuck with you for this many hours? Would I want that? And if I look at that person and go, oh, that doesn't appeal to me, it's probably not the right fit for my business. Especially you're in a people business where people talk all day and you're you're around each other so much in a salon. Yeah. That is such great advice. Yeah. And so, and it's really, I think when we first started out in my business, I remember reading um, some business books and that, and everyone was very against, you know, being friends with your staff and and all that. Whereas I feel like now like people want connection. They want connection with who they're working for. They don't want to just be a staff member. And, you know, even as a business owner, I want that connection with my team as well. Otherwise it's very lonely. So I think my biggest thing is that I make sure that I have that communication and connection with my team all the time. They know that like I'm a real person. They see me screw up or they see me do things and, you know, having to take ownership of of stuff and being able to, I think, stand up and come in and have difficult conversations when you have to dealing with stuff. I think a lot of people try to brush things over under the rug for too long without dealing with work dramas and that. But I'm actually creating a, I'm on the other, on the other side too. I'm creating a online. So it's basically about our, about our culture and how we, how I manage that and basically everything about performance reviews, team catch-ups, things like that, that we are creating an online course to be able to give to salon, other salon owners that want help that with that. Brilliant. Because I think there's not really anything out there that gives you the guidance of how do I even, what do I talk to my people about when I talk to them every couple of weeks? How do I measure How do I measure their progress? How, what do I do? What do I do in a team meeting? What can we meet about? What kind of retail challenges can we have? All that kind of stuff that I've kind of put together in the last 10 years. We are putting that into a online course that I think will be really, really helpful for people. Because the way I see it too, it's like, if we can help other salon owners be better salon owners and be able to have those connections with their team, people aren't going to be moving around so much. You know, like some people just really need that help and how to be a better mentor. And if you can be a good mentor, you're going to have your team for a lot longer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, that would do incredibly well. I think that's a huge thing is people want to be better, but they don't know how to be better. And there isn't anything that's showing them how to be better specifically in the hair and beauty industry. No, that would just be incredible. And that's another passive income 
stream that you yeah. wake up and you're selling. And uh, there's no shipping on it, right? <laughs> there's no shipping. There's minimal um, liaison with the actual students. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah. I love online courses, but I just think yeah. that's such a great avenue, but that's brilliant. So tell me, what does the future hold for The Nest and for Charlie? So you've obviously got online courses. You're going to expand the brand. Yeah, I guess, well, we're going to be launching our next product line in a few months. We are going to take charlie.com.au to Hair Festival in Sydney. So wow. we're doing that at a at one of the biggest ex, like hair expo this year. So that'll be exciting. I'm really just trying to focus. My biggest focus this year is just trying to be more organized and trying to be able to manage all these things that I want to do while also spending time with my two little kids. So there is, you know, all of that. I don't really have, people always ask me like, what are your goals? I just, I don't really, I'm kind of weird. I don't really believe in goals because I just believe in like milestones and moments and things. I don't feel like there's an end goal ever for me. There's never like a, people are like, when are you going to be happy? I'm like, I am happy because I'm doing what I love. Yeah. to do. And I love the climb of it. You know, I love the, it's not about just like the, the profit to me. It's about like the, you know, how we get there. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm the same. Uh, yeah. And I just, yeah, I don't really know. I think it's just so exciting because every year you're somewhere totally different than you were last year. Yeah. And it's kind of fun, not really knowing where that's going to take you. And, you know, I could be bankrupt or, I could be buying a boat. Like, yeah, you know, absolutely. <laughs> the, it's no one knows. And I think that's so true for me. I get driven by challenge the challenge of learning yeah. how to build an online course, the challenge of learning how to sell it, the challenge of, say, doing a product line. That's what drives me. It's not a goal thing. It is actually my mind has to be fueled and constantly challenged. And if I'm not being challenged, I'm a really miserable person. So, yeah. you know. Therefore, we never know what's around the corner and what's going to be put in front of us is an opportunity that we go, I reckon I could do this. Everyone's saying I can't, but I'm going to challenge myself and actually nut it out and be successful at it. So I think that's an amazing thing. So to finish up, I usually do, um, do you have some questions for me? Do you have any questions for me today? Yes, I do have a couple questions for you. One of my biggest ones is, I'm not sure if you're like me, but I have like a new idea probably multiple times a day, right? How do you manage having so many ideas? And what do you do with those ideas when they come to you? Like, how do you organize that? Yeah, sure. I have a system where I write them in my phone and I leave them for a few months. And if I still go back and think they're still a great idea, I will test them. So validate them. So I will go into my Instagram stories and kind of throw it out. Do you feel this? And actually feel out whether people would actually buy this service or need this service. Cause I think there's a lot yeah. of people that don't validate their ideas. So yeah. People that come to me yeah. with this idea and I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Have you even validated it? Like that book I was telling you about. Yeah. And yeah. it validated it and she was 1.5 million in and there was no need for this thing she'd created. So it could have yeah. been a lot of products saved if she had validated the idea. So I think that's, I'm the same. I have hundreds of ideas, but I'm older now and I go, okay, time, effort to get it to where I want it to be. How many years is that going to take? Do I have that in me? And is there a quicker way to do something else? That'll be more yeah. possible without more of my time. Do you do all your own social media? On my own accounts, I do just because I'm 
pedantic and fanatical, but it's getting harder and harder to do because we manage 20 other social media accounts. And obviously I have my team to do that. But even so, like last month I got in and rewrote pretty much majority of our clients' social media because I just wanted to go back in there and actually implement a really strong strategy. So I'm very controlling about it, but I have a formula that I follow even for my own personal accounts. And, you know, the more I put into my personal accounts, the bigger they boom. But probably what I'd suggest to people is get someone to do all your posting and stories a few times a week. That's what we offer for people. And then that frees you up to do all the real content, all the stories behind the scene. And we find that that combination of actually outsourcing the static posts, so there's Mm -hmm. regular posts going, it actually allows a lot more creativity for the business owner to actually create content that they enjoy rather than feeling they have to because we take out the mundane marketing, got to be on there, part of it. Yeah. And then the business owner actually thrives because they're like, you know what, if I don't feel like doing anything today, I've already got a post scheduled by the agency going out, so I don't need to worry about it. And then yeah. other clients, they'll be on there doing reels every day and we're like, great, that's fantastic. And then if you want to slide off yeah. again, you can. So that's probably my advice if um, business owners are, you know, two minds, whether they should outsource it. If you've got the funds and, you know, you've been getting a bit tired of your social media, it's also sometimes a good idea to get someone else's views on it and strategy of what they would do with it. That, you know, sometimes yeah. that's a winning point. Yeah, cool. And how do you stay present with your own family? There's so much going on. (laughs) Great question. (laughs) Especially I've got four children now, so that's kind of chaotic. (laughs) I get home and I'm trying to get home earlier, but I get home and I actually put my phone, well, to be honest, it's flat. That's how it started. By the end, by five o'clock, my phone's usually flat. I will put it on charge in my bedroom. And then I generally don't look at it again to about 7.30. So once I've done being with the kids, I've done all their lunchboxes, everything, everyone's in bed, house is tidy, then I will look at my phone again after they're all in bed. It's quite rare that I'll look at it between those, you know, two to three hours, unless I've got a client campaign going out or something's triggered that I need to make sure it's gone out. But it is hard. It's a constant juggle. And, you know, I think we're so mindful that as females, we're working full time, but we're also parenting full time. You know, there Mm -hmm. is no, we're now taking on two full time roles and expect to do both of them brilliantly. Well, it's just not possible. And things do go astray. And, you know, I order lunches twice a week because I'm like, you know what? I just can't deal with making another goddamn lunchbox, especially this moment. God help me when there's four. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just stuff like that. I'm like, it is what it is. But interestingly, I don't know if um, your kids are not at school yet, are they? They Wine just started kindy. Uh Aha. So interesting because I've got older kids. This year in schools, they've literally stopped homework. Yeah. So it's really weird, but they found the kids were getting so overwhelmed with so much intensity at school that then they're going to after home. And then you like last year, we had probably two hours of homework every day for my year three son. He was doing two hours of homework every day. And this is a state public school. It's not a private school. And he could cope because he actually likes studying and stuff like that. Whereas my one underneath him wouldn't have coped. He would have melted down. That was too much, but he was younger. But this year, the school's just come out and said, you know what, if you want to do a bit of reading, if you want to do this, go for it. But otherwise it's not compulsory. And I have a friend um, and her daughter yeah. at a top tier private school, the most expensive one you can get in Perth. And they've done exactly the same at that school. So wow. 
that's greatly helped because when I'm not having to go home and deal with a kid that's exhausted and tired and having to sit down and make them do homework, now it's a lot more enjoyable. So that's definitely changed in yeah. our household. So that balance helps a lot more because it's yeah. not mum going homework time. It's actually, yeah. okay, let's go and do this or you can read to me if you want. But it's a constant juggle and no one will ever yeah. get it right. So, I mean, yeah. you think about how much more productive you are myself if I'm like okay I've got four hours or I've got 10 hours by the end of my 10 hours I'm just like got a million things open and I'm just clicking around my brain function just isn't even yeah it's not even working anymore so that's great I hope that no homework is in my uh, yeah is in my future yeah I was uh, I wasn't sure at the start I was like oh my god if they're decreasing their learning ability but then I'm like maybe it's actually being detrimental and apparently the studies are showing it's being detrimental to the kids actually just piling with so much and I mean if they're going to come home and do two hours of homework just keep them at bloody school yeah yes you know don't send them home to me do I'm not a teacher yeah, keep them till five. Yeah, please. if you're going to implement two hours of homework, keep them at school to yeah, 5 p.m. So, yeah, it's yeah. an interesting thing. But in terms of balance, you know, you just every day. And, you know, I just say at the end of the day, as long as we survive, we're doing well. So I take yeah. all the pressure off. If it's eggs on toast for dinner, it's eggs on toast. If it's a full-blown yeah. meal I've cooked, great, whatever. Every day looks different. And as long as at the end yeah. of the day we go to bed, we've survived. Everyone's happy. Yeah. I My expectation, that's it. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So tell everyone, where can they find you? What is your Instagram handle for the salon and for the products? Yep. So our salon is The Nest Hair Boutique, Perth. And you actually made me put Perth on that a long time ago. (laughs) And I wish I don't want it on there anymore. You don't want it on there now. (laughs) Is that The Nest Boutique? The Nest Hair Boutique. And the Charlie is C-H-A-R-L-I-I. So it's spelled a little different. .com.au. So charlie.com.au is on our other, um, our new e-commerce brands. That is pretty exciting thing. And we also have, we do rent out our studio as well for our Charlie space. So if people want to do a brand shoot, we've got lots of vintage sort of styling in it if you want to do something a little bit different we're open to having people come and hire out our space too i love that so never a dull moment definitely make sure you give those accounts and follow because charlie's always up to something and i love watching the journey so thank you so much for joining us today on the passion podcast great awesome thanks nikki It is the season of freebies so why don't you head to my website and take one of the three freebies i have on offer There's a five-day challenge, a brand audit, and the new business scale quiz. If I was choosing one, that is the one I'd be choosing. Determine how to scale your business with actionable steps into the next tier of the scale. Head to www.nikkimilne.com and take the quiz. I can't wait to see your results and help you move forward in growing your business so that 2023 is the most profitable year for your business. Thanks for listening to the Passion to Profit podcast. And don't forget to rate, review and follow the podcast. Your support means the world to me. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Passion to Profit.